Uh, why don't I pray again? Uh, we can't ask for God's help enough on a passage like this, and then we'll get into it. Father God, we do uh, pray that you would be present with us by your Spirit, that you would guide uh, my words and our thinking, uh, that we would honour you and uh, that we would know you better from uh, the time that we spend tonight looking at your word. We pray that you would do this good thing for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Hillsong have a women's conference. It's called the Colour Conference. And uh, in 2014, it had the theme, The Greatest Love Story Ever Told. That's a good title. Uh, But I'm guessing they didn't preach on Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16 is a love story. There's a marriage. uh, There's an abandoned girl who uh, rises to become a queen. But it's not your typical Disney-style love story. It's, it's raw and it's intense. It's like a breakup album. It's the, the story of God and his relationship with his city, Jerusalem. How he showered her with undeserving love and how she responded with unrestrained prostitution. That's the main image of this chapter. Uh, Jerusalem as a prostitute. It's, it's graphic, it's, it's confronting. Uh, we stopped reading at verse 22, but actually it gets worse, if you can believe that. Much more graphic. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said that a minister can scarcely read it in public. Uh, it's not really colour conference material. Uh, but it's meant to be confronting. Uh, look at what God tells Ezekiel to do with this story in verse 2 of chapter 16. Son of man, confront Jerusalem with her detestable practices. It's meant to shock people with the reality of how they've treated God. And the intensity of this chapter is going to teach us tonight. It's going to teach us something about the intensity of God's love for us. And it's going to give us an important warning if we want to be called God's people. Well, to start with, uh, this uh, prophecy takes uh, God's people back to the beginning. It's, it's an allegory. It's a story with meaning. He, he says that they were like an abandoned baby. Uh, read with me from verse 4. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for on the day you were born, you were despised. It's a shocking image, really, isn't it? It's horrific, this discarded baby, and you can't help but think how, how awful this is. Um, but in the pagan ancient world, abandoned babies were actually a part of life. It was just one of those things that you had to accept. Uh, in fact, this is something of a tangent, but uh, it wasn't until the rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire in the first century uh, that actually put put an end to the discarding of babies like this because it was Christians who went and rescued them because they wanted to show the same kind of love that they had received from God. That's, That's just a tangent about, you know, this practice of infanticide, but 
Uh, it's important to note because of what God does here in verse 6. Uh, he intervenes. Then I passed by and I saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. See, the baby is completely helpless. You, you actually can't imagine anything more helpless. It hasn't had any medical care. It's just been ditched. The cord hasn't been cut. It hasn't been washed or wrapped. But God says, live. The God who makes creation out of nothing, uh, who brings life out of death, and he makes Jerusalem, his city, from nothing as well. It's, it's actually a wonderful picture of the grace of God, that this is how God works. Uh, he shows mercy when people are at their most helpless. And that's God, how God always works. Grace and mercy, when we're most in need, that's how he treats us as well. If you look forward to the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 2, this is what Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Discarded. Worse than that, completely dead, unresponsive. But then verse 4, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. See, people who are completely dead, but God says, live. And he sends Jesus to die, to make us alive. See, this picture of a baby in a field is a picture of God's grace. How life with God always starts with him stepping in and showing his love when we're at our most helpless. But he doesn't stop there, does he? Uh, He showers this child with this generous love. Uh, He marries her in verse 8. It says, I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. See, it's, it's the story of Jerusalem, this city. That out of nowhere, out of this pagan background, uh, God establishes the city and he starts a relationship with his people there, uh, this covenant with them. And uh, there in the midst of the city, he builds his temple, this uh, glorious place, uh, which is the symbol of his uh, covenant marriage to his people. And so Jerusalem is this jewel in the crown. And pick it up from the end of verse 13. He says, you became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the Sovereign Lord. See, it is a love story. It's a picture of Jerusalem at the height of her fame with the glorious temple, God's dwelling place there with all of its uh, finery. And it's God who makes her beautiful. It's God who does it. It's because of him. And her beauty is a reflection of him, of his great love for his people. And so this city is this golden city, a city on a hill, a light to the nations. And you really have to know that backstory uh, to understand the next bit. It's like when people get engaged and uh, you hear the story of how they met, you go and ask them and For some people, that's like a three-hour commitment to listen to that story um, because they love to tell you about how they met and and the whole way that that came about. But 
it's important to hear that because it tells you so much about their relationship, where they came from, why that's important. And uh, that story in Ezekiel 16, that is Jerusalem's story, this story of incredible, undeserved love, life from nothing, the joy and security of this marriage covenant and all these extravagant blessings to her. But look what happens next, verse 15. But, but you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. It's just, it's so confronting, isn't it? And it's, it's so perverse that she just throws his love right back in his face. In this wicked unfaithfulness. And the very gifts that she's been given are what fuels her prostitution, her running off. It's her fame and her beauty are the reason she thinks she doesn't need him anymore. It's an awful way to respond to the deep love of God for her. And I think it's possible for us to treat God in a similar kind of way as well. Uh, to take for granted the things that God has given us uh, and to take them for granted so much that we think that we don't need him anymore. That God gives us success at school or at uni or at sports and that leads us to ignore God and pursue our own success, our own career. Or God blesses our church with growth And suddenly we put our trust in our numbers, as if that's important. It's a bit like the way uh, in the US they write, in God we trust on their $1 bill. And just the irony of that, who do you trust? Or take an example from the New Testament. Uh, The church in Corinth was a church that was full of spiritual gifts. They had tongues, they had prophecy, but they were taking those gifts and they were making divisions out of them, Uh, factions over who was more spiritual than who. And the Apostle Paul has to ask, what do you have that you did not receive? So he's he's saying, you received all of it, it was all a gift, so why would you use those things to turn away from the giver? Ezekiel describes Jerusalem's behaviour as prostitution. It's a metaphor for how they've been unfaithful to God. But it's an awful kind of unfaithfulness, isn't it? Because the city wasn't forced into it. Uh, the story says that she wanted to go to these others. She, she pursued them. She paid them. And the rest of the chapter spells out what kind of uh, unfaithfulness it is. Uh, in three ways mainly. We see it's a religious prostitution. The city's run off to false gods. Have a look in verse 17. Uh, you also took the fine jewellery I gave you and you made for yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. See, all this jewellery and stuff, that's describing the beauty of the temple and now that beauty is being used to worship idols. There, in the temple. It's like a slap in the face to God to turn away from him and to turn to idols. But it's even worse than that 
They've descended into this fertility cult uh, and the worship actually includes the sacrifice of children in verse 21. The children that God has given to the city. You can, just, you can see why it uses such confronting language. It just has to. To turn to idols is like leaving marriage to become a prostitute. That's what God is saying to his people. But there's also political prostitution. Jerusalem constantly runs to these other nations for protection instead of uh, trusting the God who made her a queen in the first place. Uh, They go to the Egyptians for help against the Babylonians and they make treaties with the Assyrians and they take on their foreign gods as if uh, military alliances can save them. And then later in the chapter we find that there's a social aspect to this as well. Uh, They reject the good laws that God had given them and instead they indulge in sexual immorality and social injustice. Further down, it says that Jerusalem is somehow worse than Sodom in the way they fail to help the poor and needy. And you start to understand why this chapter uses such graphic uh, language. It just has to. Uh, when the movie Schindler's List came out in the US back in, back in the 90s, I guess, uh, it had an R rating. But really that wasn't surprising because of the content, because uh, it was this confronting story about uh, Nazi Germany and the extermination of Jews and one man's attempt to save some of them. And of course, it, it had to be a graphic movie because of how serious it was. And Ezekiel 16 has an R rating as well. It has to be that way. It has to be that strong to get across uh, that message of just how badly God's people have treated God. And did you see, the problem was uh, they hadn't remembered their story uh, there in verse 22. Uh, Read that with me. Uh, In all your detestable practices and your prostitution, you did not remember the days of your youth. You did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, kicking about in your blood. All through their unfaithfulness. They didn't look back at where they'd come from about how helpless they were, how God had given them everything. And so now they're facing God's justice and his punishment, which we've seen so far in Ezekiel. But if that is true for them, if if that's true uh, for them when they rejected God's covenant, then we need to hear a warning for us. How much more does that apply to us? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, it says that the Old Testament stories were written down as warnings for us. They were to be an example to us. And it's a clear warning, isn't it? Uh, If you're someone who calls uh, God your Father, if you call yourself a Christian, it's a clear warning. Don't Reject the grace of God. You get that message in the letters to the Hebrews. Hebrews is written to Christians 
who are in danger of uh, doing exactly that, drifting away from Jesus uh, and not repenting. And so you get a similar kind of warning. Let's read it. Uh, If you've got a Bible, now's the time. Do a flick. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to read from verse 26. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. This will be the last flick. Yeah. It's too late now, but you should keep your finger in Ezekiel 16. I'm so sorry. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Uh, So this is is the warning uh, about uh, doing the same kind of thing that the city of Jerusalem did uh, in response to God's love. Verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth... No sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them? And who has insulted the spirit of grace? It's a really hard warning, isn't it? But can you see the point? That the Christian has received more. A greater rescue. A greater marriage covenant with the Son of God himself. And so that means that even more, that to treat that love with contempt... Uh, it's like it's even worse than the situation in Ezekiel here. Now, this isn't talking about a, a one-off sin that you repent of. Uh, it's, it's talking about that attitude to totally turn away from Jesus, to deliberately keep on sinning. And it's not talking about uh, non-Christians. This is a warning for anyone who wants to call themselves a Christian, to call on his name and then to turn away from him. Well, it's exactly like what's going on in Ezekiel. And we need to hear that warning. And we, so we need to remember our story. Because we have an even greater story, don't we? If you're a Christian, uh, we have a greater story. God's been even more gracious to us. Uh, even better than that story of an abandoned baby who's transformed into a queen. We have... Uh, the blood of the covenant. We've been washed clean by Jesus. We have the spirit of grace uh, making us right with God. Uh, The love of God is, in fact, the greatest love story ever told uh, when it comes in the person of Jesus. And that story, that is what Ezekiel points forward to at the end of the chapter. Uh, That's why we needed our finger back in Ezekiel 16. Because at the end of Ezekiel 16, he points to a new covenant uh, that God will make an everlasting covenant with his people. Verse 60, he says, Yet I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Verse 60. And you see the contrast there? Uh, Back in verse 22, God says of Jerusalem, You did not remember the days of your youth. 
You didn't remember. But verse 60 says, I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth. See, God remembers his covenant. He remembers the promises that he's made. And even when his people are unfaithful, even then God is faithful. And he promises even more. He promises that uh, he will establish an everlasting covenant, that one that comes when Jesus comes into our world. And that's actually what we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at. Uh, from this point on, our series in Ezekiel uh, turns the corner. The, the first uh, set of, of the first half of Ezekiel uh, really focuses on God's judgment for the way that uh, God's people have treated him. But the second half uh, looks forward to this new covenant that Jesus is going to bring. And so we have that uh, to look forward to for the next four weeks. I hope that you'll stick around for that. But tonight, tonight, for those of us who are trusting in Jesus, I want us to hear that warning. Uh, we're not in the, uh, the restoration phase of Ezekiel yet. We have one uh, final chance together uh, to hear that hard word of Ezekiel. That it's an awful thing to reject the grace of God. To know the greatest love story ever told, to receive it, and then to throw it away. Well, Ezekiel calls that willing prostitution. And he puts it in graphic terms because of how serious it is. And he puts it in such graphic terms because of how wonderful and glorious the love story behind it is. So don't turn away from the grace of God. Hold firmly to Jesus. Take the warning that's there from Ezekiel 16 not to follow in their steps. Uh, well, as I said, we're going to have a short time of reflection. Uh, it's a good chance to think back, uh, not just on this passage, but uh, this whole first half of Ezekiel. Uh, that, the word of warning that Ezekiel gives us, uh, the news that God is just and will judge those who stand against him or turn away from him. And I want us to take a moment to take those things seriously. Uh, especially because in the coming weeks we're going to be looking forward to the difference Jesus makes in all of that.